Okay, cool. Well, let's uh, we'll get we'll get started then. Yeah, I guess. We'll just do the do the podcast now. Sure. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Okay. Welcome to Tell Me Why I'm Wrong, the internet's favorite podcast about why Sophie and I are wrong. I'm Amos, one of your co-hosts. I'm so fabulous. That's my new. That's my new handle. Are you, the other uh, co-host? Yeah. Are you so fabulous? That's you're going to be. Your... <laughs> it's my drag name. <laughs> that's a good. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, do you need you know, a drag name? I mean. Does anyone need a drag name? But like, I have yeah. one now, so yeah. like, I think I better. But you can still call me Sophie. Okay, it's okay. Well, just for we'll just know that Sophie is short for so fabulous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, welcome. This is Hooray. season three, episode four. We're back after a little uh, mid-season break. It's a mini break. Yeah, just like um, break. like spring break, basically. Yeah. So I hope Early. you enjoyed that. Um that little vacation and you're back and you're ready to learn yeah uh i have a i have a little bit of follow-up do you have any follow-up i do too ah well you go first what's your follow-up amos yeah i'm pretty sure you are going to become an anti-vaxxer oh yeah 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 i totally listened to the um the one about food science nutrition science again and (laughs) i was horrified i was like oh no oh amos is going down the dark path yeah oh yeah you're like really suspicious of like like the mainstream authorities of science and yeah, I got yeah. afraid. Yeah. So yeah, no, I'm here to tell why, you that why. you should be like, remember when I was like, no, you're fine. And I was I not comforted it. by that at all. No. When you well, said it, I was like, you, I don't know. I, you're not fine. I'm not. No, I'm not no, fine. I'm uh-uh. a deeply troubled man. And that's, you're, <laughs> we're just beginning to scratch the surface. I know. I've known you like 20 years three. or something. Yep. And it's only becoming clear to me. Like, yep. What, I tried to tell you back in, in, S1E1 and you wouldn't you wouldn't listen. <laughs> I was I wouldn't and so now but that. I've come around. Okay, great. Yeah, yep. and now hey. you're and now you're like assigning me HP Lovecraft like I I think it might be time for an intervention. Hey, if you all if 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 you all think that I'm a deeply troubled man right into the show. Yeah. Uh, there's a contact page on our website tmwiw. <laughs> If if enough of you if you enough of you do it, we will do a whole segment just called uh just on whether Amos is deeply like a deeply troubled man or that, not. That will be the name of the episode. It'll be a deeply troubled man. Yeah, and it'll be like, tell me why. Uh, here's why Amos is deeply troubled. Tell me why I'm wrong. And I'll and I'll do a seg- segment on why Amos is deeply troubled. Yeah, it'll be great. Yeah. Um. Cool. 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 My mm-hmm. follow up is uh is about something that's not troubling but great. Oh, cool. I, so after we recorded that last episode, uh, we, we had a, a thing there in, in the second segment where we talked about Emily Wilson's new translation of the Odyssey. Yeah, which is so good. Well, I've been reading little bits of it because uh-huh. I started following her on Twitter. And oh, she, cool. She's amazing. So Yay. What's all... the most amazing thing you've learned? Um, well, one of the things she does is she will pull out a passage mm-hmm. and she'll sort of tweet it out in Greek and then tweet it out in like seven or eight different translations oh cool and sort of like point out what different people like different approaches that that yeah. the different translators are taking and and why hers is better than theirs <laughs> in like what a non-combative a cool way but she'd be like look this is a thing that translators have done where it's like someone did it once and then yeah. other people seem to be just working off that translator's thing mm-hmm. but the actual greek is maybe a little more ambiguous or mm-hmm. or or a big thing that she's 
pointing out is like places where um, something in the Greek is not gendered, but is then gendered in the English. Oh, interesting. Uh, Do you have an example? Oh, let me, let me, let me, um, I mean, think about it. The other thing that I was noticing when I was reading it was something that I've been, I've thought of for so long as just like this beautiful staple of the, of, of that like lexicon is rosy finger dawn. And I always thought, oh, like rosy finger dawn, like the dawn really does look like rosy fingers sometimes when it's like streaky and pink, but she translates it dawn, her fingers bright with flowers, which I is so interesting and like a completely different image and I don't know how to feel about it. And I just, I kind of love it, but it kind of, it doesn't give me the same feeling or picture at all. And I just, um, but you know, it has a nice meter and I, I don't know. It's just been really, say it again. Dawn, her Dawn comma, right? Like Dawn, her fingers bright with flowers, interesting comma, and then whatever else happens. Well, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, hmm. what's the Greek really? Rhododactylus, so definitely fingers. I think it's like rosy finger, like, but it must be like uh, not like pink, but like actual roses. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we got to get down to right. this. Okay. All right. So, so, so one of the one of the passages that she writes about a lot is toward the end when Odysseus kills all the suitors, and then they round up the women who slept with the suitors. Yes, yes, and That's like an amazing hang them passage. in the yeah. in the courtyard. Yep. There's like I think twelve of them. And she keeps like one of the things she's pointed out a bunch of times is that it's often translated as sometimes as women, but usually as like whores or harlots. Right. right. Um, and she points out that that uh, I don't actually remember what the I'm trying to scroll through her Twitter here and see if I can find it, but I can't. But um but that they're actually slaves and yeah. that the women were yeah. actually, you know, by any legal, <laughs> well, legal isn't there, uh, but they were, basically they were, they were raped by the suitors. Right. And yeah. then, right. And then punished executed for, for infidelity. Basically right. it's right. messed up. Way messed up, but so much part of our world. Yeah. The history right. of our world. And, and also, you know, I think in, in one of our, I think the first episode that we did where we talked about Homer and I, I don't forget which one it is, but one of the things that we talked about, I think I talked about uh, how, oh, that, that that people tend to read a lot of different things into the Odyssey and kind of read mm-hmm. their own values into it. Mm-hmm. And but really, like when you get down to the when you get down to it, like Homer's all about Odysseus coming back and killing everyone. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. But um. Yeah, you know, it's like a Tarantino film. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. From from reading her Twitter, it sounds like she thinks that there's a little bit more ambiguity in there. Interesting. And so, in in the actual text, so I don't know. Oh, I haven't was, gotten that far. That's yeah, really cool. Awesome. Well, hey, Emily, Will, Doctor Wilson, we like you, and mm-hmm. maybe there's some tiny chance you're listening to this. That would make me. I'm sure. I'm sure she excited. is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, on with today's okay. show. Yeah, it's a homework assignment. It's a homework show. assignment. Everybody's favorite. Yep. Uh, so I assigned a bunch of H.P. Lovecraft to Sophie. Sophie assigned to me uh, a Salman Rushdie novel that I, I still can't remember the name of. Two years. Two years, eight months. 20 days. And 28 nights. 28 nights. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I will start us off uh, with yeah, H.P. And Lovecraft. You, uh, I'll tell you the ones that I read. Okay. I read The Call of Cthulhu. Yep, good. The Dunwich Horror. Yep. 
The Whisper in Darkness, uh-huh. and At the Mount. I think I read At the Mountains of Madness. That's oh, the Arctic one. You didn't read Shadow one. over Insmith. I didn't read Shadow over Insmith. Oh, I just no. did not. Oh, okay. it's okay. You, could, you know what? They're kind of all the same. Anyway, uh, go ahead. Okay. Shadow, <laughs> Shadow over Insmith gets, gets into something. Well, okay. So, uh, well, where to start? I wanted to talk about this guy because I'm deeply ambivalent about him. I think there's a tremendous imagination in his work, but he doesn't follow the usual rules of good literary or genre fiction. His characters are flat at best. Most of his plots are not particularly propulsive. Uh, The reader can often see his twist endings coming a mile away. (laughs) But somehow, I think it all adds up to something bigger than that. I think. Does it? What what do you think? Also, the racism. (laughs) It's really shocking in some of his stuff. Call of Cthulhu has some pretty upsetting descriptions of black and mixed race people. And he has a couple stories I didn't assign with some pretty awful stuff about Italians and Portuguese people. Uh, Some of that seems almost quaint now. Um, He was from Providence, so I think he was pretty upset about um, Italians and Portuguese people moving in. Uh, But a shadow over Innsmouth that really gets me. Um, And just just so you know, it's, it's about a town basically right around Ipswich. It's a, it's a fake town, but right about where, where real life Ipswich is. Um, that's a, the, the, the main character is sort of doing a little tour and he finds out that, that the people of this town have been breeding with fish people out of the ocean for, Oh, I should have read that one. Yeah. It's, it's really creepy. Um, and, and the reason he's doing this tour is because he has some family from that area. So he wanted, and he, he was from the Midwest, but so he wanted to kind of go back and look at this. So, yeah, so they're like breeding with fish people and, in exchange for wealth and power. And as, as they, as the people get older, they become more and more fish-like and then they like go <laughs> off and live underwater. Um, and I think they worship Cthulhu. Uh, sure they do. So, so I think. I think one of the really interesting things about that story is that it, it gives the reader this feeling of disgust at the idea of like this um, mixing of races in, you know, in the story, it's like humans mixing with weird fish people. But there, I think, I think there's something about that that like communicates his own sort of felt disgust mm-hmm. about um, interracial mixing. Um. But anyway, so uh, I want to stop there. I want to know what you think about all that. Does the bad prose destroy any value his writing might have? Is the near complete lack of female characters or any interest in human relationships whatsoever? (laughs) Does that put you off? I still think he's kind of great. (laughs) Tell me why I'm wrong. (laughs) Um, He's great in the way that like someone horrible can be great, like to think about and to think with, but like, I can't say any more than that. I mean, you sort of, there's sort of like this weird thrill of like being horrified by him, which sort of like, maybe he would like that. I don't know. Like that's his whole thing, right? I don't think he would want you to be horrified by him. I don't think he would either. So, because I think he thinks he's right. Oh, he absolutely I, he, like, thinks he's, he's right. like taking a stand for like reason. Oh God! And like yeah, waspy, right, yeah, waspy values and culture. Yeah. But yeah. he think he thinks the battle is like totally lost. Yeah, and, totally. Like, um, yeah, women and black people are totally going to overwhelm him. In right. Some way. So so um, it's so pathological. It well and pathologized. I mean, it's all mm. about sort of like illness, like in um. 
in the Dunatar, like there's all this talk about like the decayed and then the undecayed branch of the family. Yeah. Like there's all this sort of like because there's some kind of like inbreeding or outbreeding or something that's going on that way, and it, it is all about sort of like rot and 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 physical decay. But um, I think the one thing that I would say is like you're completely right about the fact that he has this sort of like um, I think uniquely original imaginary ability because there were moments like i did not like him i thought his prose was bad it's the bad over, the overuse clear, of the listeners. word tenebra, ten, tenebrous i don't even know how to say that word it just means tenebrous, dark yeah, shadowy. like just bad you know like it, it is not infinitely bad it is really terrible but like there's this moment and i and you know and i i'll tell you so in a second i'll get to um my sort of like biographical exploration that i did okay. about this guy but um you know he so that's one thing that's interesting but he um you know, I'm reading along and like I started with Call of Cthulhu and uh, immediately, like right away, there's like just it's so clear that this is going to be horribly racist because something happens to someone. He's like getting off a, a boat at a dock and he's like jostled by, quote unquote, a Negro sailor. Yep. And then like his his problems begin at this point. I was like, oh, this is this is bad. Um, but there's this moment where he talks about like the geometry of this mm. city being wrong somehow of the city of yes and and i was like okay like this is actually this is unique like i've never read anything like this like he has thought something that like i couldn't i mean i was impressed like i was very impressed in that moment so right. I like think what does even what does it mean to be in a in a city of non-euclidean geometry and or- what does it mean like just the sort of like feeling of like there's something physically wrong with the space. Like I, I thought that was, you know, where they're like walking up this pyramid and then they're sort of, it's almost like MC Escher or something. Then they were right, like yeah. upside down or like sideways, just there's something really. So, so I want to give him props for that, but I will say like, I think, I think one of the biggest, I mean, yes, like there's some real, there's some real problems in terms of his sort of like hatred of other humans mm-hmm. um, along, along like, ethnic racial and i think yes indeed sexual lines um uh but i think the other thing is like for me like i don't know about you but like i did not find these stories horrifying or frightening um Hmm. and i think like i have this i have this um because because like how do i say this it would have to you would have to be pulled in a fair amount for then the bottom to drop underneath you but it seems like you said that the plot twists come a million miles away. Like there's always some set of creatures, right. Who are like bad, but they'd want you to think that they're good, but then they're actually bad. But at no point does the intelligence that's guiding the story seriously consider that they ever could be good. So then you know that they're going to be bad. Like in, um, in the one with those crab, those flying crab things. Whisper in darkness. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the crab the guys fungus, are like, they're like weird fungus insects. I love them. From outer like, space. I don't understand why they can't be. So they say that they're like, they're not bad. They're just like, they're just from outer space and yeah. like, they're just here. And you know, by the way, like this is the kind of stuff that we humans do to each other all the time, right? We like invade the, each, each other and then are like, we're really not bad, but that we really are, but maybe we really aren't. I don't know. Um, but, like, at no point is it actually – they say that they're just benevolent, but of course they're not. But, like, why wouldn't they be? Like, he cannot get himself to a place where he has even, like, the most – even just the tiniest bit of 
empathy where he could imagine that maybe they are benevolent. Mm -hmm. So then when he's like, actually, they're evil, you're like, yeah, I know. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like you were never – that was never going to be a question. And so I think, like, there's something about, like, you said disgust, but for me it's like horror and this, like, lack of empathy. It's just not very interesting somehow. It's like, oh, you're you're horrified and disgusted by this thing because you have no way of understanding it as anything but – horrifying but like and, I, I don't really care and really he's he's i think one of the the themes of his of his work is that that like what he finds horrible and disgusting is like is that's like the basis of the entire world yeah and like yeah. our experience of a normal non-disgusting non-horrifying world is is an illusion we cling to because we can't actually contemplate how horrible and disgusting the world actually is. Right. And so one of the, one of the things, but like what if you are one of those people who's one of those creatures or things or beings that's quote unquote horrible and disgusting, like you wouldn't perceive yourself as horrible and disgusting. You'd right. be like, like if you're this Amigo, is just it's normal. Not so bad. You just get to fly around throughout a space and you, every now and then you put like someone's head in a jar. Or their brain is that what they're called? Wait, what are they called? Migo. Migo. Yeah, I, right. I if so. you're, if they're, Mi- yeah, yeah. You're like, you're like, it's cool. Like, right. This Here, is just. I'll put your head in a jar and we'll go fly around outer space. Exactly. All like, right. I've seen some pretty cute pictures of Cthulhu with a little like sort of octopus head. Like, yeah, he seems right. all right. Like, you know, why people, would he? People like crochet like um, yeah. balaclavas. <laughs> like, why would he be so bad? Like, well, I his mean, geometry's all wrong. Well, maybe our geometry is wrong. I mean, maybe I'm too much of a cultural relativist, but this just no. it just doesn't well, seem realistic, I mean, right? It's like, why would all these people be like, yeah, I love disgusting filth and rot? You know, like, that's not how it goes. You mean like the people who worship Cthulhu? Like, yeah, like right. all the people, all the people and beings and things that are like somehow in the view of the narrator of the story or of Lovecraft himself, like so wrong and bad and horrible. Like, I mean, it's they like wouldn't... people who value like multiculturalism or something like, <laughs> right. They're like, they're like race traders. Right. I, I'm like, I'm confused about who those people are in this. You mean in his world or? Yeah. I mean like, like the people, like say the, the people who collaborate with the, with the Migos or the, the, the Cthulhu uh, I see, cultists. I see. Right. Yeah. But they like love the power of the evil. They're not saying like, well, let me give you my take. I don't think it is evil. They're like, yeah, I love evil. And to be clear, and I mean, it's not. I feel like that's a failure of his imagination. I mean, I think there's lots of lots of failures of his imagination. But um, what was I? Oh, like I'm not sure that he would say that these forces are really evil. Well, so that's another that's another crack I kind of found because well, maybe not. On the know. one hand, like I was reading, so I just I got out of the library the like really big like doorstopper yeah, book, right? Joshi. It's like, yeah, yeah, that guy who's like the, his whole introduction, uh, Joshi's, is that like <clears throat> Lovecraft is not actually interested in the supernatural or in the mystical at all. He's sort of just like, look, there's no moral forces this is just it's sort of like pure sci-fi in the sense of like it's not that these things are bad and these things are good it's just that the the world is completely they're much anarchic. bigger than than us and they're yeah and they're completely indifferent to, to us i but i think that's but then i don't think that's right i don't think so either because i think he's like it's everything is like evil and horrifying maybe evil is the wrong word but threatening or destructive or and otherwise it's not, negative and it's in and like the mo- emotional reaction of his characters who i think it's you know Right. Generally speaking, you don't. I'm want a to man be, of science. Generally speaking, you don't want to like 
assume that the author is identifying with the narrator, but I think it's it's a pretty safe bet in most Lovecraft. <laughs> uh, I don't know. He he might be the like the 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 artist with the brain fever who's like, I don't know, I saw a vision. Yeah, well, that's that's fair. But um uh yeah, but like the 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 emotional reaction is always fear and disgust. Yeah. And and like sort of like I was a reasonable rational man of science, so I thought that I could handle this, but I couldn't. Yep. Because actually it's dark and frightening and it is morally inflected. It's not just there's no point, there's no moral. Again, I'm not it's sure like it's bad. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's moral in the way So okay, so so this is one of the one of the things I wanted to get into. There's there's this whole body of political psychology research which you know uh, i'm like a little bit suspicious of it but one of the things that that this research looks at is is sort of what are the like what are the psychological differences between people who identify as liberal and and as conservative sure and and one of them is that people who identify as conservative have much stronger feelings of disgust like they're more, really? yeah, they're more, they're more prone to feelings of disgust. That's interesting. Cause I saw something recently that was not about psychology, but it was about sort of values and, and similar said that, uh, conservatives of least American ones tend to be more concerned with concerned with things like purity. Yep. Yeah. 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 Which would kind of match up with that right. sense of things being befouled in some way and exactly. being upset by that. Exactly. Whereas like liberals might be interested in right and wrong conservatives are actually right. interested in like pure versus impure right i think it's um what i read was that like t- people to the left tend to be more interested in alleviating suffering and harm right okay that makes sense right and and they're more open to new experiences and stuff mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. um so so you're gonna say that lovecraft is like regardless of his own political uh, opinions which we do know something about his work is never it's like it's already inherently conservative because it's yeah. so concerned with disgust exactly that's an interesting that's a real i i would i would say i would sign on to that and and i think it's interesting as a or conservative at least by a certain definition yeah I mean, right the, right you know, I, that could, get, gets pretty slippery pretty fast absolutely and and there's like different ways of understanding conservative Right. Um, but I think a preoccupation with um, decay mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. certainly – I think that's something that's going to take mm-hmm. you pretty far um, yeah. in understanding yeah. conservatism. Yeah, um, yeah, that's interesting. And people get confused, I think, about what, what it is that's decaying and different – whatever. Sure, um, yeah. But, but all that's to say that I think, I, think, I think Lovecraft is really powerful as an expression of that psychology. Yeah, that's it, a good point. In, in a way that, you know, he wasn't inten- – like, it's communicating something he was not intending to communicate. Yeah. Um, but I find it kind of compelling. Um, that's a really interesting point. Yeah. And – I want to read the fish people in that one now. I, ins- I, I That may actually be my favorite. I'm going to read it because, I mean, there's a part of me that, like, if I didn't know anything about Lovecraft – uh, if you had told me that, I would be like, that sounds charming. I love it. Like, I want to get old and live under the sea. That right. sounds great. And, like, and, sign me up. You know, that, think... could, that could be sort of whimsical and lovely, you know? So, right. Okay. So, But obviously it's not. It's horrifying and disgusting because but, why would you have sex with a fish? But at the same time, I think, like, you were sort of – you talked about the, like, all the little cuddly Cthulhu images and stuff like that. <laughs> I think there's a way that, like, Lovecraftian – the Lovecraftian mythos has been – 
appropriated by people with very, very different Very values. different politics. Yeah, right. By like sci-fi nerds who are like, this is great. Right, like, like, we feel like outcasts. I want to breed so... with the fish people. <laughs> yeah. They're going to give me weird gold from under the sea? Like, sign me up. Um, so, so, so uh, no. Oh, sorry. Okay. One other thing I was going to say is, oh, right. So I, I came to Lovecraft through people who cited him as an influence. Mm. And I was like, oh, well, let me go read this Lovecraft and see what the the deal is because i kept seeing things described as lovecraftian yeah Um, so and so you know mostly it was guillermo del toro and yeah and mike mignola the guy guy who created hellboy you know i felt very much that there was a um there was a resonance with del toro especially like we talked about how like i was like I was like, I can't the, the, like the, the, the skeleton with the spinal cord hanging out and the, like just the mud and like the fucking, sorry, I just swore it was eggs, but I really get grossed out by those eggs in Hellboy. Like I can't do it. Um, that feels very connected. Totally. Somehow. And, and the big, like, you know, at the end of the, the movie, the film version of Hellboy, there's like these portal that opens up in these, these big, like tentacle monsters are going to come through and destroy the world. Um, and that's like, straight Lovecraft. But yeah, for real. But, you know, I think I think Hellboy, the comic series and Del Toro in his Hell, uh, Lovecraftian sort of stuff, Hellboy and, and other stuff, he just goes a very different direction with similar ideas. Yeah, cuz there's Hellboy who's like he's sort of the redeemed demon. It's right. like that he's the argument for for human community or community of of maybe even not so humans, right? Cuz he's not human. Like the well, nature right. over nurture. And his friend is a or nurture over nature. And his his best friend is a fish person. Wait, have you seen The Shape of Water? I haven't seen it yet. Me neither. I know, it's kind of embarrassing. Oh, it's bad. It just got an award. I know. Something. It got a lot of awards. Yeah. But, you know. I'm busy, um, so. so just a thing about Lovecraft, because I started getting yeah, fascinated by him. Stuff. Yeah. So like, he's just an interesting guy. I mean, clearly he's from Providence. Clearly he's from, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like very sort of man of his uh, place. Yeah. Mo- most of his work is set in New England. Yeah. Uh, I think and Call of Cthulhu is mostly set in Providence or like, like yeah, the main, there's the, the main Vermont story. one, right? Yep. That's Donna Charge. Um, no, uh, Dunshore is um, Massachusetts, but right. um, Whisper in the Darkness is. I, I do love how he like kind of creates this whole um, like weird university and like yeah. town and all Arkham, this stuff. The town of Arkham, yeah, is, right, uh, which Miskaton- clearly Miskatonic. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and the ship c- is named the Miskatonic that yep. goes to the Antarctic. Yep. Yeah, you can buy like a Miskatonic University. I bet you can. I bet like, you can. Yeah. Um. So, but he like has this interesting story of sort of being this like, um, you know, not not very sort of frail mm-hmm. often sick child and like sort of like you know uh, being this being this sort of cream of the crop providence guy who then can't really like make it in the world but what's so interesting is he marries this woman whose name i've now forgotten because i did this research a while ago she's this immigrant woman she's a like she's a russian i think russian jewish, jewish right? woman yeah. yeah who he meets because she's also an author of weird tales um and she has like some great job in a a department store in Brooklyn. And so they're going to like live there and he does not like it there. And then she he, he wrote a, her job. a story called horror red hook or something. <laughs> That's like um, one of his most, I haven't read it, but I've, uh, from the descriptions I've been told, it's like one of his most racist, yeah. like most explicitly racist stories. So it's all about the, the foreigners in Brooklyn. For sure. Who, one of whom he like fell in love with, but um, what's what I thought was the most interesting. And I like, 
I would watch this movie where like he she loses her job and so like and he can't really make enough money and so they have to move back to Providence and his aunts who are taking mm-hmm. care of him because his mother is like I think she's institutionalized by this point or maybe she's died I don't know so there's brain fever whatever it's all very Victorian despite it being like the 1920s but whatever um or later um basically like he um he basically learns from these women that they will not support him he cannot in in the style to to which he's accustomed if he brings his like russian jewish wife and so she goes to california and they just they break up but then he told her that they were divorced but they weren't really divorced there's and she ended up marrying someone else and then she was a bigamist by accident the whole thing Wow, I didn't know about the accidental bigamy. So fa- fascinating. But, I mean, I just thought his sort of, like, inability to, like, to live in this amazingly dense and imaginative place in his mind that's nevertheless completely consumed with fears of decay and then to, ha- like, sort of try to be out in the world and then have to withdraw. Like, I am now fascinated with him as a personage. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I, 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 other than the fish one, I, I don't feel called to... by by Cthulhu like I don't feel called to read any more of this crap but um but like I definitely like got so it's interesting when you first assigned it I was pretty excited to read something new because it was like nothing I I mean I don't this is not what I read and so I started and I was like oh this is so fascinating and but at a certain point I was like I can't this I can't do this anymore they're all the same it's all the same like horrible racist crap I can't do it um but he's interesting like where like the fact that there was a mind that this came out of is really interesting yeah 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 um you know, in in retrospect, I think I I would have I would have made sure that you were, um, I would have made sure that you read uh, Shadow Over Insmith, and yeah. I also would have thrown in one or two of his early stuff before mm. he, you know, because I I mean one of the, just like formally speaking, one of the things that's interesting about his work is that he sort of created this whole alternative alternate reality, wh- yeah, where. Uh, Does he do that, or is it his followers who sort of put that together he, out of the fragments? He did it because he's he did. Got, you okay. know because he's got these sort of like oblique references to his stories where it's like you know the the um you know in in um what's it called uh the Antarctic one oh mountains of madness at the mountains of madness yeah there's like references to Cthulhu right right there. for sure and there's all these and so you you get this feeling that he has this whole sort of secret history of the world laid out yeah. and he's giving you these little glimpses of it in yeah. these different stories which i think is is something that is uh sort of uh, beguiling to certain readers yeah and it's now just isn't that just now a, a sort of like standard built-in feature of all sci-fi or or, or most of most fantasy sci-fi fantasy like sort of has this world yeah. building that people get really into right right yeah yeah and um, obviously he didn't he's not the only person who did this but it does seem to be part of that yeah and the way he genre. does it so obliquely i think is yeah is right. part of what's kind of beguiling about it mm-hmm, you know as opposed mm-hmm. to tolkien who's like oh here's the history of the world in this book yeah, i wrote boom, like a real history I wrote it. yeah <laughs> don't you like history a, i love I'm history his- yeah and yeah and here's this language i made yeah. up and um, it's functional as opposed to like weird cthulhu and chants where you're like oh, yeah. what even is this um where was i going with that sorry shoot no that's okay so, beguiling beguiling fish ones building. early style formal mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you said something formal about his style yeah oh just about i was just talking about the world building what were we talking about before the 
You would have made sure I watched the, read the fish. Oh, part. and I would have. Oh, but I would have made you read his pre Cthulhu stuff before he oh, before okay. he started doing this sort of shared world sort mm, of thing. Mm-hmm, um, the mythos. Yeah, you know he he had all these stories about um, young artists with brain fever who yes. get transported to dream worlds and stuff. Right, um, and those dream worlds are potentially other planets. Maybe right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Hard to say. Um. Uh. Okay. Well. So. Oh, last last thing about H.P. Lovecraft. Um, uh, interesting biographical fact. Mm. A distant cousin of mine. Are you kidding? No, very no. distant. Yep. Are you of the decayed, decayed or undecayed branch? Very, definitely decayed. <laughs> wicked, I mean, wicked decayed. I, I, you know, I think it is interesting that that he's writing all this at a time when you know. Uh, roughly speaking right like the the harlem renaissance is also taking uh-huh. place i mean it's such a it's such a weird also the high a, point of the clan in america sh- well sure the, and these things are not you know completely undetached for, completely detached from one another i mean there's these these there's sort of all kinds of historical threads that tie all these things together but um it definitely is um you know, sort of funny to put him side by side with some of the other great writers of that time mm-hmm. um, who I'm sure found him. Well, I wonder what they what anyone I, I wonder what his reputation was among. I mean, did did literary people just ignore him entirely? Yeah. Or? I mean, most of his stuff was was published in magazines. Right. Amateur sort of. He was very into amateurism as yep. well. That's interesting as yep. a concept. Um, yeah. So he would he would have stuff published in. And I think sort of, you know, he made a, a living with his writing, but it was mostly like anthologies and yeah. um, magazines and, and journals, stuff. right? Yeah. Like, cause you subscribe to like weird tales and then you got your monthly exactly. diet exactly. of weird tales. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think he basically invented like the twilight zone though. Like that, <laughs> right. Like yeah. that's just sort of like a TV adaptation of his. That's interesting. Um, last thing I was going to say about him. Yeah. Influential. Uh, I forget. Whatever. Lovecraft. You're a, you're a, you're a kook. Yeah, well, I'm going to read those other ones because I still have that book, and okay. uh, maybe we'll have. Oh, follow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, for a little while, I, I was when I was sort of getting into Lovecraft, I started listening to this podcast called it was called the uh, HP Podcraft, <laughs> um, and it was this guy who was really into Lovecraft, but he had this really creepy habit of um, of downplaying the racism Ooh, and yeah, being like, that. well, he was just sort of racist for his time. No, like, no, nope. Like, it was like, that's, or, or like, you know, that was just sort of like the time he was living. I was like, no, no, no. Uh-uh. like this guy was a virulent racist. And of a very particular sort. Like, this yeah. is not sort of casual, I'm using words that we would never use now. Right, they right, were right. Sort of no, it's clearly like, a preoccupation. It's a, it's a major preoccupation and it gets like it gets associated with certain kinds of metaphors that are all, that are very telling, right? Yes, like yes. about sort of genetic biological, um, inferiority and rot you know yeah. like that's that's pretty like that's pretty specific that's not just your garden variety american right. it's not like I he mean, calls black people negroes and that's that no <laughs> no <laughs> no but, no no but the, the host no. of this podcast he like went on this whole thing about how this was before martin luther king jr so people didn't know that him was about- a long pause when you were like this is before martin luther and i was like no he's like like, this is before martin luther king jr and people didn't know any better now after martin luther he's like people people? you know people can't be racist anymore because of that and i was just like whoa 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 whoa." 
my my dude <laughs> my dude i do not that know what to tell is you not my dude uh, um yeah well people are bad and we have a lot of work to do but yeah. um but but lovecraft remains pretty pretty fascinating despite being in his own way disgusting so Real, yeah, yeah yeah maybe yeah. that's the place to leave him you know? i but, think but that's I, exactly where to leave him <laughs> i i'm really i really liked this conversation and i really liked I mean, there was I. I really was glad to be exposed to something that normally I would have avoided. So, thank you. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> yeah, you're sort of my go-to person for that. What do you, What do you have uh, for me? Our, uh, I got Salman Rushdie for you. Are you ready? Um, I'm ready. Okay. I, I like Salman Rushdie. I read the Satanic Verses many years ago. I did not understand it. Um, but I liked it. Um, I'm now reading his newest one, which is called The Golden House, although I think I'm kind of giving up on it. Um, not because it's too mysterious and hard to understand, but because it's, I think, actually a little too obvious um, for me. So two years, eight nights, and 28 nights, uh, sorry, two years, eight months, and 28 nights, though, is a, a puzzle for me. I find it to be a bit of a pickle. Um, because at one level, I, I actually really enjoyed reading it. I read it um, a lot on the train, and so it's just, like, really transporting and fun. Um, but on the other, my reaction was just a series of eye rolls. Um, so um, one reviewer said, uh, referencing Henry James, Mel Brooks, Mickey Mouse, Bravo TV, and Aristotle, among other things, Rushdie provides readers with an intellectual treasure chest cleverly disguised as a comic pop culture apocalyptic caprice. But is this right? I mean, isn't it just the, isn't it actually the, the reverse? Is mm-hmm. it a pop cultural caprice disguised as a postmodern intellectual treasure? Is it pure silliness? Is it Rushdie's pastiche of Latin American magical realism? Uh, is it just the novel version of the first season of Heroes? Do I like <laughs> this book? Is it good? What is going on? Amos, tell me why, how, and if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, you're, uh, you're right. The reviewer is wrong. Um, but oh, I guess that, that feels good. Yeah. No, I mean, let, let me back up by saying I haven't quite finished the book. That's okay. Um, but I think <laughs> I think I've read enough. Of There's these. fish people at the end, and they go under the sea. Well, not so true. that's not true. <laughs> I, I I mean, I was struck. I think these two, like, I think it's it's fortuitous that were that I did mm-hmm. Lovecraft with with this particular Rushdie book. I think they actually yeah. go really well together. I agree because they're they're both about you know, the supernatural breaking through into the regular world in these Yeah, weird and like ways. weird inbreeding. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. And, you know, Mr. Geronimo is, uh, <laughs> he's not the a man gardener, of science, right? but he is a man of the earth. And, yes. And he keeps being very upset by supernatural things. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, uh, you know, he could have been a landscaper at Miskatonic University. <laughs> I, that would be really interesting. He's nicer than anyone who appears in Lovecraft, though. Yes. Yep. Like, as a person. <laughs> so, but a similar, a similar flatness of characters and especially yeah. human characters. Oh, my God. It's, it's or, really or, impossible to be interested in any of these people. The deer departed Ursula Le Guin. She, she just Did I get that right? She did just die. Um, a couple years she, ago, right? She yeah. wrote um, she wrote that a, a review of this book in which she said that all the women are just basically men in drag, um, that they, they just don't read as women at all to her. And I thought that was a nice Well, was a I nice think I, I think that's a, a fair point. I would also say there's just an awful lot of, like, young, beautiful women throwing yeah. themselves at 60-year-old men. Oh, yeah. And I was For like, real. I was like, I was like, Salmon, man, it's over. Over. Like, <laughs> she, like she dumped you. She's moved on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's got this Top Chef thing going, and she seems to be doing really well. She seems really happy. So <laughs> it's time to move on. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that uh, is 
causing me to give up on the golden house is the, is like basically the same thing. And that, that, that like the women are all sort of like, they, he, he gets a little closer to them being real people, but then it just breaks down and it's like, they're these sort of mysterious, magical genie women. <laughs> it's just very, yeah, it's disappointing, but yeah. So, yeah okay. So tell was, me what you think. Well, so I was rolling my eyes about like right off the bat. I was like, give me a break when, <laughs> when the 16, the genie, like disguised as a 16 year old girl uh jumps in bed with the 60 year old philosopher <laughs> uh, right. like that just pissed me off right from the start um that's reassuring yeah 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 no and it, it just seemed gross and then you know it, yeah <laughs> so and then i'm you know i'm having i'm struggling with the characters because none of them is particularly interesting mm-hmm. um and I know this is a, a conscious choice that he's making because I know he's he's smarter than this and he went he took AP English too. So <laughs> so he knows that like good writing is about showing not telling. Um so he's making a very conscious effort to just tell you everything. Yeah, yeah. Um but I don't find it very enjoyable or interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like he keeps describing characters' personalities. Like, oh, mm-hmm, this character mm-hmm. is mercurial. And this character is very down to earth. It's like, oh, okay. I mean, I'll, t- I'll take your word for it, I guess. But like, I wonder if you could have demonstrated that through the action of the book That's in some way. Uh, instead of that was not even like ch- chief or t- like it was not among my top like five complaints. But that's an interesting. Well, I mean, I yeah. think I think it's sort of symptomatic of something else mm. with the book, which is that it's maybe just like more about the concept than the execution. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just like overly overly thought out. Yeah, I mean, I think like he tends to be over intellectualizing in general. And so like, I think like, so what I enjoyed about this book was that it felt to me like he was sort of just busting out and he was like, I'm just gonna like do like a comic book of a novel because like and do all the fun stuff I never get to do and like yeah. just totally like play around because I'm talent rushdy and i can um this new book that i'm reading now just has way too many puns and i'm just like no dude no like you need to be a little less self-indulgent but um but i i mean like i said i really enjoyed the book and yet and i wanted to talk to you about it because of its weird resemblance to heroes i yeah, thought sure um but then when i got the book out of the library after i had assigned it to you and i kept meaning to read it again i really never did because it turns out i didn't want to right you know, so well, I remember enjoying it, but I don't want to enjoy it again. You know, you 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 called it like kind of a comic book story, and mm. I think sort of in terms of like subject matter, there's some truth to that. But mm-hmm. like again, like one of the defining features of comic books is um, that you need to tell the story through action because you don't mm-hmm. have that many words, mm-hmm. and Rushdie has. A lot of words in this and one. And this is not even a long one for him. Right. But my point is that, like, like the the word-to-thing-happening ratio is, yeah. just seems way off. Yeah. You know, it's not about the length of the book. It's about it just taking a lot of words to mm-hmm. not get you very far. And, mm-hmm, and comics, mm-hmm. like, have to be very efficient in their storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and if uh, – yeah, if, if – if it's not efficient, it's just it's going to be a failure because mm-hmm. you can't have pages of text. You need to sh- you right. show something happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get frustrated sometimes when, uh, let's say, like high art creators, literary writers or uh, 
art house filmmakers think that genre work is something that they can just kind of play in mm-hmm. um, and they can just sort of like dabble in and be successful because uh, you can't really like it's a, it's do you it's think that's what happened here? Mm. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. Uh, it feels like that though. Mm-hmm. Like he's, you know, yeah. Like he's trying to just like have some fun with this genre story. I don't yeah. know. Maybe. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that like one of the hallmarks of somebody like Rushdie is the clash and mixture and um and like and, and in a joyous way, right? Unlike unlike Lovecraft, but like the sort of like joyous mixture mixing of genres and especially of like high and low, what we what we do, what we like sort into high and mm-hmm. low culture category. Like that is something I mean so it's interesting because on the one hand, like part of me when I read him, I'm just like you know, what you have done is you have just distilled all of uh, postmodern criticism into a formula and then made a book out of it. But of course, postmodern literary criticism in some ways was built out, built on top of Rushdie, not the other way around, right? Mm. He's not necessarily exploiting it. It's, it's following him, but, or it's reciprocal or something. Um, that's how I felt about, um, well, anyway, I feel, I felt, I felt that way about a number of, um, authors that were sort of like, oh, this just feels like you're just using this, um, sort of like intellectualized formula, but it turns out that maybe in fact, it's the opposite. The formula was made on you. Yeah. But, I kind of um, felt that way watching Casablanca for the first time. Yeah, sure, so many right, cliches. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but I think like, what's interesting is like, I mean, he he is joyous in that mixing in the way that Lovecraft is like horrified by it. Yeah, um, right. But but I think like, um, I don't know. It, it to me it feels a little bit um, like some combination of self congratulatory and 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 pat. Um, but but I but again I don't really know if that's fair because I think you know he's the originator of some of these. Um, not formulas, but like of of these like strategies. So well, I don't I mean, know. He wouldn't be the first creator to like no like really like come up with some cool, interesting stuff, and then later on kind of lean on it too heavily uh, and fall into yeah. self congratulatory. That that's stuff. probably I mean, the that, case. you know, that has been known to happen. Right, probably more than not. But um, I mean, I guess I I also wonder. Um, I mean, it seems like every every new show that I hear about is sort of like people developing weird supernatural powers yeah. and then like coming together as a team, which used to be and, really exciting. But it's not. I anymore. know it was very exciting when it was the first season of Heroes. Yeah, not but by the second season of Heroes, maybe not as exciting. But I mean, I feel like that's that's just. I mean, it's, I could name. I could name at least like two to four more of those that are running now, right? So, like, right. what is he doing? Is he is he do- saying is he saying? Oh, this is like a really interesting cultural trope that everybody seems to be very obsessed with. Let me the weird, interesting, brilliant intellectual um, riff on this, or is he just sort of like, oh, I like that. I'll make my own, and it, but it won't be very good. I mean, what what do you think? I, or both. Maybe it's both. Maybe. I don't know. I don't I, uh, I I don't have a I guess I don't I don't feel like I have a strong opinion on that question. Yeah. Um Yeah, I don't yeah, I don't I don't really know how to answer that. I do mm. think there's like something about 
the book that feels kind of smug to me mm-hmm. or self-congratulatory. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if, if I, I, I get that feeling from it, um, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure how to like categorize I, his, I mean, his, the way he as an author is sort of relating to um, superhero movies or TV or yeah I mean I I would say like in a way you know in a way it almost feels like he's using you know because the 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 framing story or or the it's not even really a framing story but like like the the conceit is that it's actually that this is sort of like almost like oral history being told Mm -hmm. by people many generations in the future that's right yeah um and there's there's I guess there's a there's a way and it's really maybe more playing on epic than on um like superhero fiction. Well for sure, because I mean he's he's playing with a thousand and one nights and he's playing with all these other kinds I mean, we sort of zeroed in on one side of it, which yeah. is a sort of superhero pop culture stuff. But there's all that other stuff too that, you know, he's really steeped in and he wants to bring there too which i which i do think is interesting um yeah i sort of i hadn't thought of it this way but i realized that i think he's wry and sly and in his sense of humor does sort of want to i can't believe i'm going to say this wink at his readers and Mm -hmm. i sort of forgot about that part of him when i assigned this and also forgot about the part of you that like (laughs) cannot stand that Uh (laughs) so like somehow i keep giving you these weirdly non-earnest um you know unserious elbow in the ribs kind of um cultural products to torture you i'm sorry yeah no i forgot that about him it's in and i mean again i think um i uh, you know i didn't i didn't take too much offense to that in this oh Rosie, you got to chill out, girl. Your dog is barking. Yeah, she needs to chill. She's a hound dog, so she sings hound dog songs mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, give me a few minutes, girl. Uh, she, um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess I didn't. I didn't find it too irritating. Like the, I guess I was a little annoyed by the, just like egregious name dropping about philosophers, <laughs> without actually like. To, to no real purpose, um, like, you know, there's not any, like, actual reference to their thought going on as far as mm-hmm. I can tell. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, this person likes to read this philosopher. Like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, the the general winkingness, like, I, I guess I want to say that it, it kept me from getting emotionally involved, but I'm not sure that. I'm not sure that's really the case because I'm just not sure there's anything to get emotionally involved with in this story anyway. So how would you, how would you class this book? Like if you had to, if you had to say what category it ought to go in, because mm. I mean, what, what if, if, for example, like if, if you didn't know it was by Rushdie, who we yep. think of as like, you know, quite the Titan of, of literary fiction, like right. would you, would you think it was like a, a, a failed I mean, would you think it was like just a, a an ambitious but failed genre novel? Would you think that it was like literary fiction appropriating something that it shouldn't appropriate and doing a bad job? Like, 
what's I mean, is he doing something experimental and interesting and creative and just not doing doing it well, or or is I it something so. else? I mean, what do you I think? I think he's doing something ambitious and not doing it well, or like I think you. It's funny because I usually I usually come at this issue from a different direction. Like I I don't have that much experience with quote unquote high art that is sort of appropriating the the methods of genre you like the other way around yeah (laughs) i i really like genre works that that actually you know secretly have real artistic merit Mm -hmm. sort of beneath the genre trappings and they're sort of reaching and stretching to be part of a larger uh cross genre conversation in some way where there's like like they're doing they're doing their job as a genre work and they're doing that well that's the primary job but actually they're like really about you know important things about human experience or or Mm -hmm. ethics or whatever but the their first job has to be being successful entertainment or whatever Mm -hmm. um and i don't know maybe maybe i don't know if it's just like i'm more comfortable with that mode than Mm -hmm. than the reverse or or whether i actually just think it's better (laughs) and works better well, I think I think anytime you are, um, I mean, so I've mentioned this quotation before from Walter Benjamin, where he says about political art, everybody thinks political art. The first thing it needs is the is the right, right politics, right, right. and he says no, it has to succeed in every other way first. And you're sort of saying, and then it has to have the right politics. And and what you're sort of saying is, yeah, like if you're going to play with genre conventions, you better hit them just right and do the job that the genre is supposed to do, like deliver the goods it's supposed to yeah. deliver. And then if you're able to do that, you can be ambitious about other things too. And if you fail in your ambition, at least you sort of at least still succeed in this other way. And I think in some ways, like maybe, I don't know, I'm going to say this and I don't know if it's true, but like, did he not succeed in making a a, a literary novel? And so all of the like pop cultural and high culture references in the world aren't going to rescue this because like in the end, it's just not a very solid novel. I kind of think so. Yeah. Yeah. So it is the opposite of what that reviewer thought. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I just, um, you know, in the words of Yoda, uh, a page turner, <laughs> it is not. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it, right. Like, you know, a, like a, this sort of like fantastical adventure novel should be like pulling you forward. Um, that's, I mean, I will say, I uh, maybe I just read too many slow-moving, boring books by comparison, but I did feel that it did that for me. Okay. Like, when I would get on the train, I would, like, look, I would not look up until I was at my stop, and I'd be like, oh, I read this, like, wow. Like, and, and I would have moments of eye roll, and I would have moments of being like, this is just, what? Like, this seems stupid, or these women characters are just so dumb and mm-hmm. flat, I hate it. Mm-hmm. But, like, I would still be excited about the next weird thing that was happening. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. Um... Where was I going with that, though? I forget. I keep it's, distracting no, you. No, it's sorry. fine. That's how conversations work. And I, I just I keep trying to monologue <laughs> instead of have a conversation. So bad on me. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's I don't know. I just. I, eh, um, oh, the references. Yeah, it. Um, I'm not sure what they're for in this book. Are you ever sure, though? Because I feel like you generally object to them overall. So, 
again, like when they're done artfully, I I don't object. And okay. So let's see what's. I mean, I'm going to ask you for an example. I know. That's why I started making going. <laughs> uh, that was. Oh, you're 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 breaking up there. That, I, uh, we'll have to get back to this that, another time. That was my. I'm thinking of an example. Uh, noise. Um. Uh. Oh well, here's here's one like the movie Unforgiven. Are you, are you familiar with that one? No, I am not. Okay, but you can tell. It's me it's. Anyway. I would say it's. it's uh, I think it's a really great movie. It's Clint Eastwood wrote and directed it and, and starred in it. Did he write it? Maybe he didn't write it. I don't think he did write it, but he directed it and um, starred in it with Morgan Freeman and Gene Hackman. Um, and. Uh, uh, I, it was sort of like the movie that sort of like got Clint Eastwood. Like, I think really sort of put him on the radar in the nineties as like, Oh no, he's actually like a serious filmmaker. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so I, I think it's a really great movie. And then like, I I've watched it a bunch of times. Like I've written papers about it. It's, it's a movie I've spent some time with. And then like, I just read this little, little blurb about it once like, Oh, this movie is like basically just a retelling of the Iliad. And I was like, what? Mm. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, yup, it is. Mm. Huh. Wow. And but what does it say that you didn't catch that of all people until you heard somebody else tell you? Uh, I mean, I'm not sure that's really a reference. Like, that's got to be pretty submerged. Uh, not really. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're just dumb. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> it, it maybe, maybe, maybe a reference isn't the right way to do it, but it's like, like sure. major plot points yeah it's know. it's in dialogue yeah like right right yeah but but the movie is like it's not like pointing at that and being like see see you know it's not like the main character is named achilles you know like <laughs> uh but it's but it's there and gives this added dimension um mm-hmm. but without being obtrusive uh intrusive and without mm-hmm. uh distracting from the other things that the movie is doing but but do you then think that it does something, it, it enhances the experience if you then do know that? I mean, it, it's, it's, it is at work in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I guess I wonder sometimes whether like, okay, so we can have a lot of like fights about references and whether they're elitist and all those kinds of things. But like, sometimes I just wonder whether like... um authors who are like omnivorous who are intellectual in a lot of directions and who love a lot of things like especially as they get older and older like do they then just sort of fill their works with those things because they just love them and it's part of their interior internal landscape mm-hmm. and so that's just sort of how it happens like maybe it doesn't have anything to do with the person catching the reference maybe that's just what's in there and that's so that i mean i don't think that's the case necessarily with with this book um with two years, eight months, et cetera. But like, I sometimes think about that, especially like in work of like pretty mature writers, there just sort of seems to be these layers and, and maybe it's not even intentional. It's just sort of, that's what's grown there. Yeah. But it's gotta be sort of about like how digested they are. Yeah. Oh, that's a nice. Okay. Sure. Like, um, yeah. You know, it's like with any influence you, you want to see that it's, that it's basically digested. Yeah, right. Um, mm-hmm. Assimilated, maybe yeah, we would say, like yeah. sort of, sort of, sort of combined in with the other things, right? And not just like a thing that's just sort of bolted on. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I think I need to wrap it up there. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, I feel like we, um, this was really, they were, they were good together. These two, although I will say like, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the fact that we were like harder on Salman Rushdie than on HP Lovecraft. Like, well, I just think clearly Lovecraft's (laughs) flaws are so apparent that you don't need to, you know, you don't need to be like, oh yeah, no, he's bad in many ways. Like you can like, yes, (laughs) but he's also interesting in some very strange ways and he's not like anyone else. Yeah. Um, that's probably rush you're like you're like is he bad like i don't know well that's why i wanted to have this yeah. conversation and like i mean i don't know if that he's i mean we can't necessarily no. he say he's bad as a as like a moral figure no no no, no but, but um right is is this is this novel bad yeah a little bit although i mean i do think like now having read a number of his work like the total lack of of his own ability to imagine and then create like any kind of interiority or subjectivity on the point of his now numerous women characters mm. maybe that does mean he's a little bad right yeah fair enough i mean though i gotta say necessarily this, translate she's still ahead of lovecraft there yeah well that's true there was that um mom character in the dunwich heart dunwich horror oh, who's like she's just uh-huh. like yeah the one who who has the baby with her father except it's actually like some kind of weird space god yeah uh-huh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that's good that was the only one where at the end because there's that like moment where it's like he looked more like his father i, I did have a moment of like oh oh whoa yeah like right. that that was because i told you at the beginning that i i did not feel particularly horrified but in that but there was that one moment where i thought oh, oh okay. one other thing i wanted to say about lovecraft is in some sort of something that you touched on um so much of the quote-unquote horror in his stuff is about the immensity and uh agelessness of the universe like the universe mm-hmm. is so big and so mm-hmm. old mm-hmm. and we're so insignificant in it and and like this like totally blows his characters minds and yeah they freak out about it and I, I read something something a little while ago where someone was like yeah but like now just sort of everyone knows that oh yeah the universe is like yeah. so old and so big and everyone's like oh huh, that's interesting <laughs> right yeah <laughs> and like people basically shrug and it's just yeah. there's nothing particularly interesting i mean you know it's interesting i guess but like people don't freak out about it it's not as existentially threatening as i think it was you know 100 years ago and 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 more and and maybe not as existentially existentially threatening to like normal people as it is to hp lovecraft (laughs) right like i think there's something about him that's like totally threatened by that in a weird way yeah i think that's probably true yeah and yet like he doesn't find any solidarity with anybody else on earth that he could be like well the world is really big the universe is big and scary and old and at least we have each other but we have each other like no we do not have each other because everyone is secretly an alien or uh like yeah like some kind of inferior creature or something but we have you readers yeah listeners listeners Uh, so check out our website, tmwiw.net. You can follow me on Twitter at Amos Worth. You can follow the show at tmwiwinfo. Is that the Twitter account? I forget. Yeah, I, don't I don't know. know. I don't know. Something like that. TMWIW podcast. That's, that's the show account. Um, you can't follow Sophie. Um, because I'm too so fabulous yeah. to even tell, be on Twitter. Tell us what you thought about the show. Uh, yeah, if you've read these guys, um, yeah, did we miss tell the us what you think. Yeah, I want to know if I'm wrong still. 
Uh, right. Yeah. 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 Um, so there's, there's a contact page on the website where you can, uh, you can let us know what you thought about all this. Uh, so, um, we'll, I guess, stay, stay tuned to the, the probably like the Twitter account. We, we, we got to do a little bit of planning about how we're going to finish off this season. Um, cause I kind of have a hard out at the end of April, at least for a little while. So we'll, we'll talk yeah. about that. We'll, we'll get back to you about it. Yeah, but um, let us know what you think about stuff. And um, uh, Dr. Emily Wilson, if you're listening, I I really am a fan. Yes, likewise. (laughs) Bye. And thanks for that whiskey offer, guy. Oh, yeah, Flip. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.